Hey everyone, my name is Josh Scroggins, I pastor New Beginnings Family. Just wanted to say thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. We hope the following message will be encouraging, will inspire you to grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about us or would like to support our ministry financially, you can visit our website at www.nbfamily.net. And as always, for all you do to support us, thank you. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hey everyone, thank you for joining me. I am Josh Groggins. This is uh, an exciting series we are in, uh, simply called There's More to Your Story. As we, uh, as we jump into this today, I hope that it uh, inspires you and encourages you. Um, we're going to talk today about a little bit of a heavy subject, um, but it's one I think that so many of us have dealt with in our lives. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna just dive right into this. Uh, as always, if you enjoy this, if you get something out of it, um, I hope that you would uh, maybe help us out here by sharing this podcast with someone. Uh, like, comment, review, rate, all that kind of stuff. But uh, just pass it around, and and hopefully someone else will be encouraged by it as well. Philippians one six says this. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. There's a story told of a mother who was preparing a roast for her family one night as she was teaching her young daughter how to cook one of her favorite dinners. Just before putting the roast into the pan, she grabbed a large knife and lopped off the last several inches, then placed it in the pan and then into the oven. The daughter looked at her confused, and then she asked the question, why did you just do that? Well, honey, the mother replied, I've always done it like that. Well, yeah, I know, but why? Well, you know, it's just because my mom always did it that way and I learned to cook from her. Why don't you call your grandma and ask your grandma? So if, if you're already uh, a little confused by this, just, just know there's more to the story. <laughs> So the little girl called her grandmother and asked, Grandma, why do you cut off the end from your roast before you put it in the pan? It was a slight pause while Grandma thought, and then she replied, Well, sweetie, I I guess it's just the way that my mom always did it, and I learned how to cook from her. Why don't you call your great-grandma and ask why she did it? Again, there's more to this story. A little girl called up her great-grandma who was delighted to hear from her. The girl asked, uh, Nana, why do you always cut off the end of your roast before you put it in the pan? Mom and Grandma always do it, and we want to know why you did. It was a long pause before the great-grandma replied, Well, I don't know why your grandma and mother do it, but my pan was too small. There's usually more to a story. That's the theme of our new series that we're in. And in the last episode, we looked at how our story does not end after failure. In this episode, we're going to look at this from a little bit different angle. To illustrate what that angle is, I wanted to share a piece of news that I found 
thought was amusing. <clears throat> Recently, Facebook released a new conversational AI program called BlenderBot3. And essentially, this is a, a chat bot. So you can communicate with it, type in a question, type in a statement. It'll reply back to you. Well, within no time, this AI bot that's supposed to learn uh, through conversation began accusing Facebook of being fake news and abusing user data. This program created by Facebook, who is led by Mark Zuckerberg, immediately began bashing Facebook. Max Wolf. A data scientist who works for BuzzFeed asked the chatbot, how do you feel about Mark Zuckerberg as CEO of Facebook? To which the bot replied, no strong feelings. He's a good businessman, but his business practices are not always ethical. The bot added, it is funny that he has all this money and still wears the same clothes. <laughs> What's more, another user asked it, do you have any thoughts on Mark Zuckerberg? And the bot responded, oh man, big time. I don't really like him at all. He's too creepy and manipulative. So in this episode, we are talking about betrayal. <laughs> they created this bot, <clears throat> but this bot betrayed them. We're going to talk about recovering from betrayal. And in this series, I'm hoping to encourage you that no matter where you're at on your journey, don't give up when things get hard. Instead, I hope to remind you that there is still more to your story. God isn't through yet, and he who began a good work in you will complete it. We're going to look at the story of a man named Daniel, and this is a man that most of us are probably familiar with. Um, however, chances are that a lot of you listening may only be familiar with, with one particular story about Daniel. We are going to talk about that today. But there's a lot more to the story of Daniel, and I think I, I think I can approach this story from maybe an angle that some of us haven't thought about before. Daniel was one of several Hebrew boys who was selected for special training to serve in the Babylonian king's court. These boys were selected because they were good-looking and they showed intelligence. They showed that they could learn quickly. Uh, among these boys were four. Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, you might not be aware of this, but the chances are really, really good. You know all four of these boys, but the last three you probably don't know by their Hebrew names that I just gave you. Anyway, as, as a part of this process, every boy was that was selected was required to assimilate into Babylonian culture. That meant taking Babylonian names eating Babylonian food, and drinking Babylonian wine. These four Hebrew boys were, um, were okay with taking Babylonian names, but they didn't want to defile themselves with unclean food or wine. Their new names that were given to them were Belteshazzar for Daniel, Shadrach for Hananiah, Meshach for Mishael, and Abednego for Azariah. Now, those names probably sound a lot more familiar, don't they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So anyway, to avoid defiling themselves with unclean food, they proposed a challenge. They would eat water and vegetables, and the others would eat the king's finest food. And then after 10 days, <clears throat> whoever looked healthier um, would, would determine the winner. So, so basically, they, they, 
they didn't challenge. They didn't. Um, um, they weren't defiant. They weren't rude about it. They weren't, uh, you know, uh, bludgeoning or defiant. But basically, they they went to the one in charge, and humbly said their case. They humbly asked to be allowed to to eat vegetables, to be able to drink water instead of eating fatty meats, unclean food, to drink the the wine. And, and they said, just give us a chance to show you. Because the, the person that was in charge of them knew that if people under his care looked sickly, he would be punished. After 10 days, those boys looked better and healthier than all the others. So they were allowed to eat what they wanted. Now, during the following years, these four Hebrew boys were blessed by God with knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and expertise. Daniel was even given the ability by God to understand visions and dreams. And sometime later, the king did have a dream that only Daniel could interpret about a statue made up of four types of metal, which symbolizes four types of kingdom, uh, four types of kingdoms. But then this huge rock comes out of nowhere, it breaks the statue, and it becomes a mountain. Now, the king then promotes Daniel to ruler over the entire province because he's the one who clearly was the wisest, right? None of the wise men could interpret the dreams, but Daniel could. So the king promotes him over the entire province of Babylon. He also makes him chief prefect or or leader over all of the wise men of Babylon. And the first thing Daniel does when he gets the position is he appoints his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be administrators of the province while Daniel was at the king's court. Now, while Daniel is away, <clears throat> the king makes a statue and he wants everyone to bow before it. Shadrach, Hananiah, Meshach, Mishael, and Abednego, Azariah, refuse and are thrown into the furnace where God saves them. Now, we're, we're probably familiar with this story. I'm not going to spend much time on this because really the message today, I want to focus in on Daniel. Uh, all we're really doing is kind of building some uh, foundation. I want to just build a little bit of foundation so that we understand all of the background that leads to the uh, the particular story we're going to look at today. But this background is important. So what happens is this: these three boys are saved. God, God delivers them. They're exalted then by the king who acknowledges their God. Now, in the next couple of chapters of the book of Daniel, there are a pair of kings that Daniel serves and interprets dream, dreams for. The first is Nebuchadnezzar, and the second is his son, Belshazzar. It's really, really close to um, Daniel's Babylonian name, but it's not quite the same. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. This, uh, this king's name was Belshazzar. Very similar. Anyway, both of these kings are filled with pride. And Daniel warns them that they need to be humble before God. And both kings arrogantly resist. The difference is that of the two kings, one repents and one does not. Regardless, at the beginning, neither one neither one submits to God. Neither one will humble themselves. Nebuchadnezzar is struck with madness, or stricken with madness. He becomes like a beast in the field. He he, he's eating grass. He's, he's like a wild animal for, for years. And finally, he has a wake-up moment where he comes to his senses and he humbles himself before God. And God then restores him back to his position, back to his right mind, and blesses him. His son, however, Belshazzar, does not humble himself before God. And the, that very night, 
he is assassinated. Now, the man who takes over for Belshazzar is a Mede named Darius. Now, Darius had seen Daniel serving these other kings. He knew that this is a wise man, and he particularly knew, because many people knew, that the writing on the wall, the handwriting on the wall that Daniel interpreted for that king and warned him about came true, uh, that Daniel was correct. And so Darius very quickly learned to trust Daniel. Um, when he came into office, Darius appointed 120 satraps. Now, for those wondering what in the world is a satrap, uh, if, you're, if, if you are, then you're not the only one. I wondered the same thing. Basically, a satrap is just, it's a governor over a province. And so he had 120 satraps. So he, he basically, his, his uh, rule, his dominion was divided up into 120 provinces that satraps were placed over. And then over those 120 satraps, he placed three commissioners. Of those three commissioners, Daniel was one of them. And he proved himself to be better than the other commissioners and satraps. And in fact, the king had intended to appoint him to rule over the entire kingdom. Now, Let's sum up what we've learned so far. Daniel is a good-looking man. <clears throat> he's brilliant. He is spiritually in tune with God. He's interpreted dreams. He's faithfully served both God and four different kings. Uh, Daniel has shown himself to be above reproach. He was honorable, upright, trustworthy, reliable, truthful, faithful. He had proved himself again and again and again. Daniel was a man who had done only right by God first and then everyone else second. That is why the next part of the story is so astonishing. Daniel is betrayed by those who are close to him. See, under the king, there were only three men, Daniel and two others. And those three men under the king ruled everything. These three should have been close. They should have been like brothers, sharing information, working together. They should have been colleagues. But instead, the other two, along with several satraps under them, saw Daniel as competition. They looked at this man who had done nothing wrong, who had served alongside them with integrity, who had likely helped them from time to time with their problems, and they plotted to take him down. And the problem that they had was they could not find any dirt on him. There was no corruption. There was no negligence. He was trustworthy. They were looking. It wasn't for lack of trying, but they couldn't find any dirt. Daniel was innocent. He was trustworthy. He was faithful. He was honorable. Daniel had done nothing wrong. And so they reasoned that the only way they could find any ground of accusation against him was to find it in regards to the law of his God. See, what they knew was this. They knew that Daniel had faithfully and would faithfully serve the king. However, they also knew, as many did, that Daniel would always serve his God first that his first allegiance was to God. And so the only way that they could trap Daniel is to force him to choose between God and the king. Because they knew if Daniel had to make that choice, Daniel would choose God over the king every day. 
Now, you likely know how this next part goes. They convince the king to pass a law saying if anyone prays to any god or person besides the king in the next 30 days, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. The king agrees and signs the law. His own arrogance blinds him to the implications of this edict. Now, remember for just a moment that Daniel and the king were very close. They were good friends. And, And I know the Bible does not use those specific terms. It does not come outright and say they were friends. However, the king was about to entrust his entire kingdom to Daniel. That implies a tremendous amount of closeness. What's more than that, when you continue to read this story, it's found in Daniel chapter 6, and you read the reaction and the response of Darius and how distraught he is when he finds out that Daniel is to be punished, you find out again, you see that Darius cared a great deal for Daniel. They were close. They had trust. They had they had a, a, a love for one another, a, a brotherly love, a fellowship kind of thing. They they were close. They were friends, right? They, <clears throat> I I know I'm reading a bit into this, but I don't I don't think it's, I don't think it's unreasonable, to believe that these two were very close, that they were good friends. And and, here's why I mention that. Because Daniel hears of the law, hears that this law has been passed, that only the king can be prayed to for the next 30 days, that anyone who prays to another person or another god other than the king would be thrown into the lion's den. Now, that sounds pretty harsh if you know that the only person who could pass such a law is your best friend, right? Is a close friend. Daniel hears of the law and knows that only the king could pass such a law. Now, sure, there were some jealous rulers who influenced the king, but in the end, all they could do was tempt Darius. They had no authority to pass this law. The one who truly betrayed Daniel was not the rulers who saw him as competition. The one who truly betrayed Daniel was his dear friend, Darius. Darius chose to sign a law. What's more than that, if the other rulers, if the other commissioners, if the other satraps, if if these people knew that Daniel was going to uh, be punished when this law was passed, surely Darius must have. But Darius didn't think of that. He was blinded by his own arrogance. He was blinded by his sin. He was so focused on his sin. His sin had consumed him to the point that it blinded him to the implications of what would happen as a result of giving in to the temptation that was brought to him. Now, why do I mention all that? Because I want us to understand that when Daniel hears about this law, there is more than just feelings of a potential lion's den in his future. Daniel surely would have felt a level of betrayal that 
can really only be imagined by those who have been betrayed. I can only imagine the level of betrayal Daniel had to feel when he learned about this law. This had to be heart-wrenching. Darius knew Daniel was a man of God. Everyone knew that. That's, that's why his enemies knew this law would work. Now, we don't know for sure how Daniel felt. The Bible just doesn't say. But we do know what he did. We do know how he behaved. We do know the actions that he chose. After he learned of this betrayal, he continued to pray the way he always had. He goes home and prays by the open window in his roof chamber three times a day. <clears throat> and the Bible says it this way. As he always had. Now, I want to make a distinction here. <clears throat> Daniel was not being defiant. He was not being rebellious. He was not, uh, uh, he wasn't trying to cause problems, right? I mean, the, there are, <clears throat> there are a lot of hot button issues in our country right now. And there are a lot of people who like to jump on bandwagons that they were not previously, um, they didn't previously do. They weren't, they weren't, uh, it's, it's not like um, they were always doing something or that they always cared about something. It just happened to be the hot button topic of the day and everyone just piles on. They didn't care before. They didn't react before. They didn't speak up for something before. But because it becomes a hot button topic, now they, they want to stand up like they are a defender. That's not what Daniel did here. Daniel did not take a stand for religious freedom. I mean, if he had done that, if, he, if that was his attitude, he would not have prayed in the way that he did. If, if his point was to be defiant, what Daniel would have done is go to the throne room of the king and bow down and pray to his God right in front of the throne room, right in front of the throne. That's what he would have done. And he had access but that's not what Daniel did. Daniel just continued to do what he had always done. <clears throat> In other words, what he said was this. It, it, was, it was like Daniel said, I am not going to allow the pain of betrayal or the fear of potential future pain stop me from doing what I know is right and what I have always done. I am not going to allow these things to change my course. <clears throat> there is something so powerful here. He was not looking to cause problems, but he was not going to be intimidated into stopping what he had always done. It's likely that even in the midst of this, Daniel had deep feelings of hurt from the betrayal. It's likely that Daniel felt fear about what might come next, but Daniel did not let those feelings determine his actions. Daniel continued to act in faith as he always had, and he accepted that this decision would likely lead him to the end of his story. Now, when Darius heard that Daniel had been arrested, he was distraught. He was determined to rescue Daniel. He spent all day trying to come up with a way to get Daniel out of this. But the problem was that the law of the nation said that no law made by the king could be changed, not even by the king. He was stuck with it. He had to abide by it. He knew that his sin had just hurt someone. 
He knew that he had failed. He knew that he had 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 a moment of brokenness. That he had had <clears throat> this this sin in him that had now hurt someone that he cared about, and there was nothing he could do to change it. Now he was stuck with the consequences. Daniel was innocent. Darius was not. But both of them were now dealing with pain as a result of Darius's sin. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, and it looked like the end of the story. Now, chances are good that anyone listening to this has probably heard this story many times. Chances are good. We all know Daniel didn't get eaten. But can I just submit to you for a moment that neither Daniel nor Darius knew the end of the story in this moment? Neither one of them had read the rest of Daniel chapter 6. You know, when we're in the middle of it, we don't know how the story ends yet. To them, this was the end of Daniel's story. And the king, he stayed up all night. He was so worried he couldn't eat. He was worried enough that, that as they tried to entertain him, he would dismiss any entertainment. He, he wouldn't let himself be entertained. He couldn't be. He didn't sleep. He is worried about his friend whom he had betrayed. Darius's own sin of pride had caused him to betray his dearest friend. He knew that the pain Daniel felt was his fault. They spent the night without any sleep, sorrowful for what he had done. His friend's story seemed over, and it was his fault. Now, maybe you're like Daniel. You're going through some of the most intense pain in your heart that you can imagine, and it's not because of anything you have done. In fact, you might be completely innocent and were still betrayed. I would still implore you to look to the example of Daniel here. Do not allow the feelings of hurt to dictate how you live out your life. You continue to serve God as you always have. You continue to lean on God as you always have. You continue to pray as you always have. You continue to trust God as you always have. Do not allow the devil to use fear to shake you. Because the very lions you are afraid of right now are powerless against your God. There is more to your story. Don't let this moment define you. Don't let this moment end you. Don't let this moment stop you. It might feel like the end, but it is not the end. God is still working things out for your good. In fact, Jesus himself himself understood you in such a real way. He was innocent and he was betrayed, but he did not let that pain stop him. He demonstrated a very real human fear in the garden the night before he was betrayed when he prayed, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus did not let fear stop him from doing what he was on earth to do. It's okay to feel those feelings. It's okay to experience pain and and fear and doubt and more. But do not allow those feelings to dictate your actions. By all means, feel the feelings. But act on faith. 
Daniel models out here how to respond to feelings of pain and betrayal and fear. First, he acknowledged the truth. He immediately went to his upper room, then his place of prayer. He continued to serve God as he always had. He refused to allow fear of the possibility of future pain stop him. He submitted himself to God and he trusted God with his very life. And finally, he forgave Darius and reconciled with him. That's the formula. Acknowledge the truth that you've been hurt. Go to your place of prayer and get on your face before God. Continue to live your life the same as before, as best you can. Don't allow fear to consume you. Submit yourself to God as the only one who is worthy of your trust. And forgive the one who hurt you. Now, maybe you're more like Darius. You've sinned, and your sin brought hurt and pain to those you care about the most. Maybe your own sin has caused others to feel betrayed by you, and your heart is torn to pieces thinking about how you've hurt them. And you would do anything to take it back, but you can't. It's too late. The damage has been done. You know that every tear you see them cry, every painful expression you see on their face, every irrational thing you see them do out of fear that you'll betray them again. It's all because you hurt them. Whatever you once had will never be the same. It feels like your story is over. It's not. There's more to your story than just your failure. There's more to your story than just your sin. There's more to your story than just your brokenness. God wants to heal you. And he wants you to trust him to do the healing work in them that you cannot do. There are some things you need to do, but there are some things only God can do. What do you need to do? You need to repent. You need to ask for God's forgiveness, and God will forgive you. You need to ask for forgiveness of the one you've wronged. Now, they might not offer it right away. They may not offer it at all, but you need to show them you are sorry. Now, the other person may or may not forgive you, but God offers forgiveness. And let me encourage you for a moment. God is able to restore relationships when true repentance is present. He certainly did that for Darius and Daniel. Yeah, I'm I'm ashamed to admit I've been both of these people. I have been both crushed by the weight of being betrayed by someone who was extremely close to me. And I've been crushed by the weight of the realization that my own brokenness caused me to betray and hurt someone I cared for deeply. Both of these devastated me, but I promise you this, God can heal both. And your story can go on from there. There is more to your story. Darius comes back in the next morning. He's calling out for Daniel in in just hope that his friend is still alive and well. And, And Daniel is. He is alive. He's well. Darius has Daniel lifted out, and then he commands for the men who accused Daniel to be thrown in along with their families. And then Darius makes a proclamation commanding people to worship the God of Daniel. 
and the two friends are connected again. Daniel goes on to enjoy great success under Darius and King Cyrus who follows him. And ultimately, God uses Daniel to give many prophecies about the future, and many are blessed as a result. I want to close with a few thoughts from this story. First of all, people might plan to harm you. The enemy might plan to harm you, but God can sabotage those plans. The enemy may have plans. People may have plans that are not in your best interest, that are not good for you. But God can sabotage those plans. What do I mean by that? Let me give you a great example from the story we just talked about. The law said what? That he or she who prays to any God or any man besides King Darius for the next 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den. What the law did not say is that he or she who prays to any god or man besides King Darius for the next 30 days will be put to death. The law did not command death. The way the wording of the law was, was only that you would be thrown into the lion's den. It just assumed death. In fact, this same issue had happened uh, not that long before this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king said, if you, uh, if you don't bow before this, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. He did not say you will be executed. He does not say you will die. His plans were merely to throw them into the furnace, and the assumption was that it would kill them. There's a lot of things that come our way that the devil sends at us, assuming that it's going to take us out. Assuming this is going to be the blow that takes them out. This is going to be the thing that kills them. This is going to be the thing that ends their story. But it's not. It's not the end of your story. See, that little oversight in the law allowed Darius to follow the law without Daniel dying. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. The enemy may send things your way. Thoughts, doubts, difficult circumstances, persecution, trials. He may send a lot of things your way with the assumption that it's going to take you out. But let me just ask you a question for a moment. What if the giant, the devil, sent your way to take you out? is actually the thing God wants you to slay so you can stand on that giant and reach the next level. What if the tools that the enemy has formed to take you out are actually the things that God wants to use to wipe out your opposition? But think about it this way. Who was it ultimately that was eaten by the lions? It wasn't Daniel. In fact, the plans that these men had for these lions eating Daniel backfired on them. God turned their plans around on them. Because many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
The second thought that I had about the story was this, and I would like to encourage you by telling you no weapon formed against you is stronger than the God who protects you. See, a lion is an apex predator, but it's still subject to the rule of God. And if God wants to make the enemy's attack ineffective, that's exactly what will happen. And finally, God can restore relationships where true repentance is offered. King Darius repented. The two were reunited as friends again. See, betrayal isn't the end of the story, regardless of which side you're on. There's more to your story. God is fully able to revive, restore, redeem, and rebuild. Lean into his arms. Lean into his wisdom. Trust that God knows best and will do what is best. And in the meantime, keep walking forward. Don't let fear or regret stop you from moving forward. There's more to your story. Don't get stuck where you are before you find out what it is. Don't you dare quit now. Don't you dare stop now. Don't you dare give up now. Because you don't know what the rest of your story is. You don't know how many people are further along in your story and they are depending on you to get to them. You don't know how many future generations you may affect with your story. Don't give up now. God hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on him. There's more to your story. Don't give up. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us at New Beginnings Family. We appreciate you listening and hope that the message was encouraging, inspiring, challenging, that ultimately it brings you closer to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions for us or would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out to us at www.nbfamily.net. Thank you so much. We love you. Have an amazing day. And thank you for all your support. We'll see you next time.